glad you're with us. Hey, can I just uh, take a moment um, to reflect on just some of the ways that God is working among us as of late. So I think I shared last week, uh, we received this prophetic word years ago that God at times was going to overwhelm us. At other times, he would increase our capacity to stand under his visitation. And I just, in these days, really sense God doing both. Let me tell you a story. Um, I'll tell you what, partly probably because of the fast, partly because of how God visited us a couple of Sundays ago on January 9th, two or three weeks ago. Um, yeah, there have, there have been these tears in our community, and it's totally okay if you're not experiencing that. That's why we're a body. Our stories are your stories. We share each other's stories. But I can tell you, your church staff has been kind of wrecked uh, since January 9th. We keep crying at the weirdest times. And some of that is just God interrupting our discussions. We're talking, I was in a, I was in a meeting talking finances last week, and it was all I could do to not just start like weeping, you know, the way God's presence is resting on us. And I think it is a way that God is saying, uh, I'm in this, you know, in every detail of all of this, I'm in it in this season. You know, he's just being so near to us. But we can learn something from the history of revival. Um, and maybe there's something here for us to learn about how God is visiting us. I'm not ashamed to say at all that we're not experts here at the Gospel Tab and stewarding God's presence. Uh, there's, is there such a thing as an expert? when it comes to stewarding God's presence. So we are learning together. And God is more interested in visiting us than making us look sophisticated, all right? And so I'd rather have him and figure that out together. But we can learn something from the history of revival. If you could stay here for a second, brother. Thanks. Um, um, you know, it's interesting. In the history of American revivals, if you, if you read the accounts of what happened, bless you. If you, if, you read, if, you read, if you read the accounts of what happened, you'll find um, that God was often doing this laying down, standing up thing. That he was both sometimes overwhelming his people and also teaching his people to carry something. And that created what looked like some awkward things, but I think it was this thing that God was teaching. So let me give you an example. God visits, you know, New England in the early 1700s, and the First Great Awakening starts. And Jonathan Edwards is, you know, preaching at a congregational church there. And God would visit those meetings in that church so strongly under Jonathan Edwards, you know, preaching, that sometimes he would just make the choice to keep preaching, even while God was moving in the room. So you can read these descriptions where, and by the way, apparently he was a terrible preacher. Um, he, he would literally just read his sermons. What this happened during the revival was he would get up and just read his sermon. And the descriptions of some of those meetings are that people are falling out. People are shrieking and crying. People are falling under God's conviction. They're laughing. And he would just keep preaching, standing up under, you know, God's presence. Um, that might seem odd, but God was visiting the thing that was happening, right? Um, there were other times there a sermon wasn't able to go forth, right, because of how God's presence visited so strongly. Uh, you can see the same thing in more recent revivals in Brownsville in the 90s and in the Toronto revival in 1994, 
um, there's similar things. People just choosing to preach the word of God, move through a service, make announcements, even though God's presence was visiting them. Um, other times they just weren't able to continue to, to go on. Well, I, I do see something similar happening among us. So this is just my pastoral counsel. You can take it or leave it. Um, but we are experiencing in these days is God's presence actually visiting us. Um, it's not manufactured in terms of like creating a musical moment or whatever. I, I, I wouldn't be trying not to cry in a finance meeting, right, if that weren't the case. I think one thing we're learning is we don't need to set the mood in the moment for God to visit. As a matter of fact, let me, let me tell you a story. I, I got back from Kansas City last night. I was in Kansas City this last week with maybe like I don't know, 30 or so Alliance Church planters, right, from around the country. We were spending a few days learning together, strategizing together. Um, uh, Charisse and Lorenz's pastor was actually with me uh, traveling in Kansas City. And the first day, we're going through all these trainings, and I text the trainer, who's from an organization called Exponential, and I'm like, hey, I'm barely making it through this gathering. Like, we have whiteboards and all this stuff up. We're strategizing. I'm like, I'm barely making it through this. I, I just feel like Jesus wants to break in. It's all I can do to not just start weeping here. By the way, 30 Alliance church planters and only four of them were white men. Um, all the rest were either women or black and brown people or Asian sisters and brothers. And here's why that matters. It's not because God isn't calling white men. It's because he's always been calling black and brown people, right? He's always been calling women, right? He's always been calling our Asian sisters and brothers, right? Um, and so it was such like a, a beautiful picture of what God's doing with multiplication and how God is just raising up, you know, his church in this next season. Well, anyway, so the second day, um, I won't share the whole story, but Jesus broke in. And there was no music like this. I, I love it when Jake plays, but this wasn't here. Uh, we're just in the basement of a church, and we had a visitation of Jesus, you know, on us. And I looked around the room, and we're on the floor, and we're weeping and crying out to God. And we're, it was like January 9th, but now I'm in Kansas City with all these church planners. Um, and this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus just so badly wants to be with his church, right? He just so badly wants to be with us, right? And everything, all the strategy I did with those church planners that I got to participate in over the last couple of days, it was so great. But it's his presence among us, right, that all of this stuff is, is going to flow out of. I was so tired from crying so hard. I cried so hard in the last few weeks. Um, yeah. Jesus' presence is just so good. So anyway, I, I, here's my pastoral counsel, all of that to say. Um, there will be times, I'll prophesy, there will be times in the future of the gospel tab when you can't get to announcements and, and we won't get to the sermon. Um, but there will also be times when it's time to make announcements because that is a way for us to love each other, right? It's a way for us to share information. But here's my counsel to you. Don't, don't assume that just because we're shifting to that, that we have to like end everything that Jesus is doing among us. Um, if you're here at the altar, stay. Michael and Brooke can make announcements with you here, right? Um, if you're crying in your seat, keep crying. Um, if, you're, if the joy of the Lord is overtaking you, keep letting that happen. It's okay, all 
right? We're a family, right? And so you can keep letting Jesus move among you just because it's not like announcements. I'm just addressing it openly. It's not like announcements is the signal that Jesus is done working in our service now, right? It's like, and I don't know. I don't know. God will give you guys wisdom on how to steward all this. But, um, you know, even in some of our language, you know, like now we can all take our seats or now we can all, maybe we don't need to say that anymore. Maybe it's like, keep, keep doing, Jesus, keep doing what you're doing and we're going to make the announcements in your presence, right? Because this is part of why Jesus is visiting us in this way. Not so that we just get overwhelmed all the time. I remember um, when I was in the deepest season of my own healing, I kept getting wrecked at these prayer gatherings. And this has happened to some of you. Oh, I looked like such a fool, you know? And I'm going to these prayer gatherings. Uh, one was in, outside of New York City and um, at one of our sister churches. And someone prays for me, and I fall on the floor, and I'm weeping and crying. And then this laughter overtook me, and... I'm experiencing the joy of the Lord in all of these places of pain. And the whole time I'm thinking, I think people are looking at me, but it just was what it was. Like God is visiting this way. And I went to one of my mentors in that gathering and just said, what is that? Like, why am I such a wreck? Chelsea and I went to him. And I remember him saying, the point isn't that that's what God is going to do every day. He, he, he lets us feel or experience or exaggerate something with us so that when we go into everyday life and everyday sadnesses, and it, he was like, he's making you laugh like that so when you experience everyday sadness, you remember that his joy is real, right? Um, he'll, he'll heal you in a deep way, meet you in a deep way so that you can go to the office with that. Please, you gotta understand, the point of God visiting us this way is not so that we can end up, you know, so we have to come to a church service with the right music and the right worship. I'm telling you, one thing I'm learning, finance meeting in a church basement with church planters, when God is moving like this, it doesn't. It needs nothing except for his presence, right? And so that's some of what Jesus is teaching us. And, and by the way, you know, God's given us these words, tab family, multiplication, regionalization, generational transfer. Well, that has everything to do with multiplication, right? If we know how to experience Jesus' presence and revival in garages and around fires and in basements and in abandoned buildings and in, well, then we will be able to plant churches everywhere, we won't be doing feasibility studies to see if that neighborhood has enough money and deserves a church, right? We'll be saying, it doesn't matter the net income, the average income of that neighborhood. The point is Jesus loves that neighborhood, right? And God has equipped people who can carry his glory and can go into all of those places, right? And carry what it is that he's given. That's how gospel saturation happens in a region. It does not happen by having quality church services and seeing how many people we can get to them, right? It happens as we become people who carry his glory and can go to all these places. And that's what I think God is teaching us, right? So listen, announcements, sermon, please don't think like, okay, that's done. I wish we could go back to that. No, we're in it. Like Jesus is here, right? And you, and you can keep stepping into what Jesus is, is doing, and there will be times when God interrupts us. 
and that's fine too. There has never been real gospel movement in North America without revival, right? You can trace every movement of multiplication and evangelism back to revival in North America, right? God will make his presence the main point, right? And then out of that will flow all of this mission. That's how our own church got started, right? So it's in our DNA. Okay, that's not my sermon. Um, friends, last week I, I made an announcement. Uh, if, you, if you didn't get to hear my sermon last week, please, you've got to open up the podcast and hear it because I'm talking about some things that are really personal to me and the church. Can you play for one more minute, bro? Just one more minute. We don't need music, but I really want it right now. Um, and um, uh, and I, I realize you, know, you may have spent the last week processing a lot. I made an announcement that I have requested a transition plan from our denominational district and our leadership team to transition out of this lead pastor role here at the tab. Uh, there's a lot we don't know about how that's going to go. Uh, we don't even have a timeline. Um, but we are listening to God together. And tonight at this congregational meeting, I would just love it if you came and we could just have a family conversation. I'll answer any question you have. Um, there won't be any stupid questions. Um, and we'll, we'll probably do that a few times over the course of this next year. I don't care if five people show up, 20 people show up. It's worth it to me to create the space to let you ask questions. So I, I hope you can come out tonight. I've just really felt your love this week, so thank you. So many of you have been so kind and encouraging and full of faith. I just sense God doing something among us. Let's read this passage again, Colossians 1.15. And by the way, I'm, I think I'm saying all this here at the beginning because I'm going to blur the lines here a little bit in our sermon and worship um, and we're going to let Jesus speak to us Colossians 1.15 Jake and I will be preaching the next few weeks on our value of being Christ-centered it says the Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. We like to say here at the tab, thank you, Jakey. We like to say here at the tab, we like to say here at the tab that we're Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, family on mission. Do you realize how profound it is that, that we say that all the time, Christ-centered? It means there's a lot of things that are not the center for us. God willing, that's our aspiration. But there's a lot of things that are just not central for us, even good things. Do you realize to say that we are Christ-centered is even to say that we are 
fundamentally not a Bible-centered movement, but a Christ-centered movement. Do you know the Pharisees were a Bible-centered movement? And, and by that, I, I don't, you might look at them and say, well, that means then they must have been teaching the Bible wrong. No, actually, most of what they taught was correct. Most of what the Pharisees, now they got some things wrong, but so do we. They got most of it right. They were the premier Bible teachers of their day. And yet, Jesus says to them, and I don't have this verse up on the screen, but Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures thinking in them you have life. But you don't see me. You don't come to me. That you would have life. The, the scriptures testify to me. See, the reason, now the Bible is one of our values here at the Gospel that We are Bible people. But the only reason the Bible is important to us is because it testifies to a person who is the center of everything that we're experiencing. And his name is Jesus. Um, a few years ago, we took time to write out in theological terms our vision of the church. Um, and these values are shared by both the Gospel Tab and the Greenhouse Network. But this is how we word it. You can find it on our website. We don't place Jesus at the center. The Father already has. Do you realize this? It's not as if, like, oh, let's make Jesus central. No, 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 no. We're not understanding. The Father has made the Son the center of the entire universe. Right? And the only question is if we're in alignment with that or not. Right? If we're in submission to that or not. If we have received that or not. Right? But the Father has put this man, Jesus, at the center of the entire universe. Jesus is the unmistakable center of the entire biblical narrative. And this is why we are Bible people. This is why we love the Bible. This is why we read it and understand it and submit our lives to it. Is because it testifies at its center to this person, Jesus. We've said before, you can't love Jesus and not love the Bible. Because the Bible is his story. But we love the Bible because Jesus is the word of God. Right? He is the unmistakable center of the entire biblical narrative, our future hope and our eternal worship. It's then only necessary that he be the center of our lives, mission, and everything we do. Go to the next slide. We do not preach ourselves, but him. At the center of our movement is a divine person who was once crucified but is now risen. He is the Lord, head of his church, our chief apostle, our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. Um. We're going to look over the next few weeks at four passages that we base that statement off of in the scriptures. And this is one of them in Colossians when Paul begins his letter to this ancient church with this description of Jesus. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jake said it in worship. It's theologically correct. If you really want to know who Jesus, who God is, look at Jesus. Or the reverse is true, that there is no unchristlikeness in God. That if we have an interpretation of the scriptures, even God and those difficult passages in the Old Testament, that seem to point us in a direction that does not look like Jesus, then we are interpreting those scriptures wrong. Because Jesus is the clearest picture of what God is like. Jesus is the clearest picture we have. It's not as if like there's the Jesus picture and then there's like other parts of God or something. You know, we confess that God is one. He has no parts. He is undivided. 
right? So what you see in Jesus is him, right? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, meaning that he was at the creation, that everything was created through Jesus, that Jesus was God's agent in creation. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Visible things, invisible things, things that we can see and touch with our hands and smell with our noses and hear with our ears, and spiritual realities, angels and demons, all were created by him, right? There's nothing that is that was not created by him. Verse 17, he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. The universe would literally fray at its edges if it weren't for the love of Jesus holding it together in his grace, even toward a creation that rejects and rebels against him. He holds it together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body the church. This is why we can trust Jesus in times of transition, right? Because you already have a pastor. You already have a chief apostle, and it's Jesus. Imagine a church that actually believed that, that actually thought that Jesus in their midst was the main point of their whole existence. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in his incarnation, he comes into the creation, dies, but then he is the first to experience eternal resurrection, So that in everything, and this is what I really want you to focus on today, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. So that in everything, everything, he might have the supremacy. Another way we could word that is to say, when we talk about Jesus having the supremacy, another way we could say that is Jesus is better than fill in the blank. As a matter of fact, later in the New Testament, this is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. If you read it, the author literally says it over and over again. Jesus is better than, better than, better than. And by the way, what Jesus, what the author of Hebrews is talking about is good things. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than the law. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the priests. Saying that even these good things, Jesus is infinitely better and all these things. That's what we mean when we say Jesus has the supremacy. So um, a few months ago, I was in, in another city in Seattle, and I met a guy there who leads a network uh, that's similar to what we're experiencing in multiplication. And um, yeah, he, he has uh, coined a phrase. I think he coined it. His name is Jeff Vanderselt. Coined a phrase that we use a lot here at the Gospel Tab. You might not realize it, it came from somewhere else. But we use this term gospel fluency a lot here at the Gospel Tab. And, and, and what we mean by gospel fluency is we want, a people, want to be a people who, who, like someone can learn a language, learn the gospel at such a deep internal level that just spills out of our speech with each other. And, and so that's identifying our own bad news and learning how to preach the gospel to our own bad news. Also learning how to speak the gospel to each other's bad news in relationship. And as we learn to do that with each other, we actually learn to speak good news to the world's bad news, right? Evangelism doesn't become just like something like we do, like an activity we do or schedule on the church calendar. It just flows out of our speech because we are fluent in the gospel, right? We have a grace-filled way of talking that points people to Jesus. Well, in his book, in his book, Gospel Fluency, um, he says that this theme of supremacy is actually the best and maybe the easiest way to understand the Old Testament. So in our church, we have a lot of people who are getting, you know, newly familiar with their Bibles. If that's you, that's great. 
And the Old Testament might be like unfamiliar to you, but here's a great way that you can read even some of the harder to understand scriptures and passages in the Old Testament. It's simply this. This is my idea. This is Jeff's idea. Um, it's just to ask the question, how is Jesus better than what I'm reading? So let me give you an example. David, King David in the Old Testament. You might be unfamiliar with his story. Um, but we can ask this question of how is Jesus better than in two different ways with David's story. It's this shepherd boy who unexpectedly gets called as king, anointed by Samuel the prophet, and becomes king. Lots of amazing things happen under his rule, but also lots of bad things too. And here's a way to interpret David's life. Number one, the good things that we see in David's life, how is Jesus better than that? So David gets elevated to the throne of Israel and rules with strength from the throne of Israel. That's great, but that's not the main point of the story. The question is, how is Jesus a better king? Right? And the scriptures tell us that, oh, you think David's rule is grand paraphrasing, paraphrasing here, but you think David's rule is great. Well, consider this, that Jesus' throne will never end. Right? David's throne had an end date, but Jesus' throne will never end. He's a better king. Or consider some of the failures in David's life, like this time that he sexually assaults Bathsheba and has a kid by her and uh, kills her husband and all this kind of stuff. We could still ask the same question, how is Jesus better than this? How is he a better king? David might, in some of the ways he ruled, remind us of Jesus. But there's also places where David's life leaves us wanting. How is Jesus a better king than that? Because he would never do that, right? He would never be that kind of king. He would never kill someone's husband so that he could take what they had. He would never do that, right? Um, and so in David's life, it turns out that, and this is what happens to all of us, it turns out that in David's life, everything that's good points to Jesus. Everything that's bad points to Jesus. His whole life ends up pointing to Jesus, good and bad. And that's going to be our testimony too, that everything just points to Jesus. The things we did that looked and smelled and felt like Jesus, the things we did that didn't look like him at all, even in that, in God's sovereignty, will somehow point to Jesus, right? Like that's how God will be at work. All right, I wanted to give Jake a quick break. Is he in the room? <laughs> As a matter of fact, could the whole worship team come back up? That'd be awesome. So that in all things, so that in all things, he might have the supremacy. It's a great way to read scripture because in every part of scripture, Jesus had the supremacy. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus was better than anything. People's lives pointed to Jesus, but he was better. It's a, it's a great question to ask every time you open your Bibles. But this is where I want to end today. It's not just for when we open up our Bibles. It's also for when we look at our lives. Because Paul meant what he wrote here in Colossians, that in all things, he might have the supremacy. Do you know where all of history is going? to Jesus establishing his betterness over everything. Good, bad, beautiful, ugly, everything 
is going to get established under his supremacy. So I just want to suggest this to you today, a super simple message. Um, to ask this question about the good things in your life. I think I have it up there, Timothy. When you experience something good in your life, ask this question, how is Jesus better than this? Because I think that's where you'll find joy. You know, there's an interesting paradox that when we think that... (laughs) Praise God. When we think think that something is the best and we don't realize that Jesus is better, it actually robs our joy out of that thing. It's interesting. That's what idolatry does. Praise God. It steals joy from us, right? Um, That's what idolatry does in our lives. It takes from us. So let me give you an example. Um, me and my wife, I don't know if you're familiar with like the five love languages kind of stuff. If you're, if you're not, don't worry about it. You can look it up. But my wife and I uh, are both quality time people. And that, that makes some things easy in our marriage because we both feel and receive love the same way. And, uh, and, and my friends could tell you, like when someone's really my friend, I just want to be with them. And, you know, they'll be like, well, what do you want to do? Nothing. Can we just be together, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's how I give and receive love. I just, I want time, right, with people. Um, and so that means that for me, as, as active as I normally am, when I get on vacation, I don't want to do anything. I just want to be with my wife and my kids. And last year I was on sabbatical, and we got to do a lot of that. We did some things, but a lot of times we just, we would get, like, we got a cabin in Tennessee, and we just went, and it was snowing like this, and I just love to be with them, Right? I love that vacation. I look back on that and I think, oh, that's awesome. But if I think that vacation is the best, it's idolatry, right? And, and it, will, it will leave me wanting, right? Here's, here's why, because vacations end, right? They don't last for forever. Good things that we experience in this life don't last forever. Um, so if, if I think that's best, then I'm going to put my trust and hope in it in a way. And I know maybe this is a crazy example, but I literally know people who live for their vacations, right? Um, and so it's like, if I, if I put all my hope in that, right, it's going to disappoint me. It's going to let me down. And in the end, my joy will be robbed from that experience. But if I know that whatever is, whatever is good on that vacation, for me, it's unrushed time. Just being with people I love. If I know that Jesus is infinitely better than that, then I can receive with joy this vacation as a picture that points me to Jesus, right? Um, I can receive it with thanksgiving and return it in worship and experience joy. But that's true not just of only material things like vacations. It's also true even of experiences like we had this morning. Man, I was thinking back over my life, just the visitations of God, you know, that I've experienced. And um, everyone, everyone is so powerful. It is also not everything. Jesus is like, like it says in John, like we have received grace upon grace from his fullness, right? There's always more. There's always more. There's always more of what he's giving. I look back on these times See, if I think that today was beautiful, and we're going to worship some more, but if I think that today is the best, 
then I'm always just going to be looking for the next experience. But if I think, man, that was so good, and it just points me to Jesus, then I'll look for the next visitation from him, right? And that's different than just wanting an experience. It's like, I want him, right? It's okay to feel painfully hungry at the end of his visitations with us, right? To want more of him, to press in and want more. And so I just felt like today as I was praying for you all this morning, that God wants to establish his supremacy over the good things in your life. Can you just do something with me? And then we're going to do one other thing and then we'll close. Holy Spirit, I just ask that in this room, you would just surface something good in our minds or a set of things that are good. Um, It could be an experience with you or with people. Um, It could be the smallest thing, a smell, a sound. God, just something that's really good that visited our lives. Lord, I pray that you would surface those things in our minds and in our hearts. And Lord, we receive what your word says over those things, that in all things, you are having supremacy. So we do repent of our idolatries. These things are good. They're also not best. And we just ask the question, how is Jesus better than this? How is he supreme over this? What does this teach us about your goodness, about your grace? Friends, I want to tell you, it's like when we do this, we just realize that he has littered our lives with ordinary things that point us to him. Oh, he's so good. He just litters our lives with smells and sunsets and food and, oh, he's so good. (laughs) And none of these things are best. They're so good, but none of them are best. One thing I desire, only this I see, just to dwell. just thanksgiving rising in the room and gratitude is what's in the room when idolatry isn't when something is ultimate that shouldn't be ultimate we are not a grateful people we're an entitled people but when things are in the right place we can just receive it and be grateful for the good things that he's given us but here's good news for your bad news That that was good news for your good news, but here's some good news for your bad news. 
It says, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that in all things, he might have the supremacy. That in all things, he might have the supremacy. And your bad things are not so bad that Jesus is not establishing his supremacy there. And so you might ask yourself now, how is Jesus better than the bad things that I've experienced? Holy Spirit, you're so gentle. We just ask that even now you'd surface in our minds a pain, a place where we were mistreated, a place where a leader let us down. Like we saw how they pointed to you and then all of a sudden they didn't. Our disappointments, our griefs. I was thinking this morning, friends, um, honestly, I haven't even grieved this yet. I'm sure I will here at some point. Um, But since November of 2020, three young men in my life have died, two to shootings and one in an overdose death on Tuesday night. Um, I just think about all the times we prayed, all the times we hoped, that in all things, he might have the supremacy. How is Jesus better than How is Jesus better than what we experience in this life? How does what we're experiencing make us long for a better king, for a better kingdom than in all things? See, one reason that he's supreme is because the creation was created through him because he preceded all things. But Paul says that another reason he was supreme is because he was firstborn from among the dead. Because his goodness came to life in a grave. Because he was supreme in a grave. That in all things, even the grave, he might be supreme. He is better than our sin, our failures, our regrets. He is better than. Mm. I just feel like there's some hurt in the room today that Jesus wants to establish his supremacy over. That's different, by the way, than just giving it answers. Jesus isn't primarily interested in just like explaining your grief. He does want your grief, your pain, your wounds to find place in his story. It's different than just like explaining them in an intellectual way, but he'll make room for them. I I think some of you might feel led to come forward right now and just get on your knees here and just in a posture of letting him have supremacy over that pain. If that's you, just come forward. We're going to continue to worship here. Let's continue to declare his supremacy.